0: In the Bible, God tells us to be anxious for nothing. Yet that's exactly what we find ourselves doing more often than not. Worry has the potential to just cripple. That English word
1: worry comes from an old German word, and It means to choke or to strangle. And worry can get to the point in your life where it really has the idea that it's mentally strangling you. It's harassing you from the anxiety. And worry is simply an expression of our own sinfulness, our own Unwillingness
0: to trust God. Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse coming up next. Join us. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor Steve Converse. Welcome to today's broadcast you'll join us, we're back in Matthew chapter six, looking at verses 25 through 34. Over the next couple of Sundays we'll spend some time taking a look at the biblical antidote for anxiety. It's something none of us are familiar with, right? (laughs) Quite the contrary, especially in our society and culture and the way things are going in the last couple of three years. I would hazard to guess anxiety is a close friend to all of us, yet God calls us to a different road. Please join us for an encouraging look at the biblical antidote for anxiety. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Folks, you can turn over to
1: Matthew chapter six. Look at our text this morning, you know, up to this point in the Sermon of the Mount, we've been going through the Sermon of the Mount now for weeks, and, and we've looked at a, a lot of different things, and mainly it's been the spiritual character. And last week we started to uh, basically a series of messages to deal with the more, um, not so much the vertical relationship that we have with God, but the more horizontal relationship we have with each other and with the world in which we live. And so... Up to this point, Jesus has mainly been speaking about the, the relationship his disciples are to have with him. And so it's been purely vertical. But he doesn't want us to forget that we live in a material earth. We live down here where things around us, um, just kind of close in and, and we always gotta, you know, get the latest and greatest, whatever it is. And, and, and he wants us to see how best to deal with the different aspects of life here on a horizontal plane versus 25 through basically 34, the end of the, the chapter here. And so you can just follow along as, we, as I read this for you, uh, beginning in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or about your body, what you should put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, this morning, as we begin this subject of worry, of anxiety, and a biblical antidote for Anxiety. anxiety is something that is so uh, evident in our society today. It touches every one of our lives in some form, in some fashion. And that word anxiety or worry there, it appears basically four times there in this section that we just read. Be not worried. Do not worry. And so the theme is, is, what are you worrying about? That's kind of what Jesus wants these people that he's speaking with to understand. The Lord is calling us to cease from worrying to cease from having anxiety. I mean, all of us, clearly, worry is a part of our life to some degree. But for some people, it's a favorite pastime. It occupies their thinking a the majority of the day. And worry can be a very dangerous thing. Doctors tell us this. It takes a toll on people after a while. And far beyond even the, the physiological effects to our body or the psycho- psychological effects to our mind, worry for a Christian is really sin. That's what it is. It's really sin. It's really looking at God's word and saying, well, God, I know that you say that you will care for us and I know that you'll provide for us. But what if you don't? It's the doubting of God's word. It's basically saying, you know what? I know what you mean, but I just don't know if you can pull it off. God." Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and the providences of God. And yet we do it all the time. All of us. Someone said, worry is interest paid on trouble before it's due. Someone else wrote, worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. William Ward put it this way, worry is faith in the negative, trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster and belief in defeat. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunity with yesterday's troubles. The other day, I think it was Friday, I got up early and I drove over to the coffee shop. And by the time I was over like a quarter, or six or whatever, and got my coffee and everything, and maybe it was Saturday, I can't remember. But by the time I was done in the coffee shop, about an hour or so, I looked outside and I couldn't even see barely my car in the parking lot because of the fog. It was so thick. It was just amazing. It was my car was parked right there. But this fog had come in, as it usually does in our area, and it just it just blinded everything. I remember one time I was up, Jerry, I don't know if you remember this, I was up visiting Jerry Rukob up in, uh, near John Daly Drive there, and I don't know if it was late afternoon or night or whatever, but when I got in my car to leave, it was foggy. And I have a pretty good sense of direction. I just do. I just kind of built into me. And, and I remember getting on John I guess, Daly Drive and going south, and I couldn't see the hood of my car. That's how foggy it was. It was just crazy. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll get down off of this, and you know, and it won't be so foggy. I remember driving, for probably like an hour and a half. I had the slightest idea of where I was. I mean, I know I turned left and it got off skyline somewhere and, and, you know, Jerry just said, well, we'll go down until you see the freeway. I couldn't see anything. I mean, I'm looking to, for the little white line. And it was the worst feeling. This fog, I just couldn't see through it. And yet, a lot of times, that's what worry does. We, we worry about simple things. Someone did a, a study and they said, you know what? Uh, you can cover seven city block area. 100 feet deep, composed of nothing more than a glass of water, broken up into basically 60,000 little million drops <laughs> called fog. Eight ounce glass of water. It can cripple a city. And yet you can wave your hand right through it. doesn't seem like anything. That's what worry does. Worry has the potential to just cripple us. That English word worry comes from an old German word, vergen. And it means to choke or to strangle and worry can get to the point in your life where it really has the idea that it's mentally strangling you. It's harassing you from the anxiety. And worry is simply an expression of our own sinfulness, our own unwillingness to trust God. Today, he, Jesus turns his attention to excuse me, the basics of life, the very essentials of life. And you know what? It's not so much different than wealthy people. Do you think wealthy people worry? Yeah, they do. They worry they could lose what they have. See, it doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or whether you're rich. You're still prone to worry. The wealthy man is, is worried that he will, will lose everything. So what does he do? Well, 1924 says he hoards it. He stacks it up and just puts it away because he's afraid. Rather than investing it in God's kingdom, he's afraid that one day maybe he would have to tap into that. He's not trusting in the provision of God. Now, we're not saying that you shouldn't have a plan, that there's nothing wrong with planning, things like that, being good stewardship of what God's trusted entrusted to you. But this is to a... a a level that's beyond that. But here in verses 25 and so forth, I think he's talking not necessarily to the rich people, although it applies to them, because they're definitely prone to worry. But I think he's addressing this maybe to the poor people who don't have all the luxuries that he just dealt with when he talked about the rich people. He's talking about the people that don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They're worried about the basics. And you know what? If you want to legitimize worry, well then... You know what? Just say, well, I'm not going to worry about the luxuries of life. I'm just going to worry about the necessities of life. I mean, are you telling me that if I didn't know where my next meal was coming from, that it would be a sin for me to worry? But that's forbidden for the Christian because the Bible says it's sinful and it's foolish. There's no reason for us to worry about the basic essentials, the basic commodities of life because, you know what? That's what the Lord specializes in. That's what he promises that he will meet. And as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, through the Gospels and through the Epistles, one thing you learn is that God does not want his children preoccupied with the mundane things of this earth. Things that are just going to pass away. So he says, you know what, don't worry about those things. I'll take care of you. Focus on other things that are eternal. He wants us to set our affection not on the things on the earth, but what? On things above. He wants us to lay up our treasure in heaven and to seek first the kingdom of God. In order to do that, he says, you, ha- you have to be free from worrying about the basics. You can't be sitting around worrying about the basics, not trusting that I'm going to provide them for you, and expect to have a, a mindset that's setting your affection on things above. It's not going to work that way. The basic spiritual principle of, of our spiritual lives is that, you know what? This is not our home. <laughs> this isn't all there is. The- we-, we have a home that's this is just kind of a temporary holding tank for us I mean imagine yourself going to the beach and renting a cottage there and you're there for three days and you go in and you say oh wow look that wall needs painted would you paint it? no you're just staying there oh look at these rugs they could be replaced you wouldn't replace them why? because it's a temporary place you're only there for two or three days Or one time we went up to Washington State and visited my nephew and took the kids and their kids and everything and we went to this place I mean, what was it called? Levinsworth. sounds like a prison. It almost was. My wife loves the place, but I just uh, I, I I couldn't see the wisdom in it. But it's like this little town up in the mountains, and it's pretty. I mean, granted, I mean up in Washington State, it's very pretty. But um, you know, I remember we got this hotel, and we kind of got this. It's kind of like a condo, kind of a house, kind of a thing, and and we got this hotel, and we got there, and you know. First thing Crystal did is she went in and started inspecting things. And she's like, we can't stay here. This is bad. And uh, we ended up staying there because there's nowhere else to stay. But I remember thinking, ah, this is, I just, you know, I can't settle down here. I don't, I don't, this isn't home. I don't even feel like this is a nice hotel that, you know, we can enjoy. And, you know, we may do with it. But, see, there's something about when you know that you only have to endure it for a little while, then you can deal with it. But, see, sometimes we think that this earth is our permanent home. That somehow we've got to make everything better here. Well, that's not the way it's going to work. And so what he's pointing out here is don't worry about the basics. I'll take care of that. And, you know, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, it doesn't matter. You can all worry. Rich people worry about what will happen in the future. They won't have enough resources, so they stockpile it up. Poor people, you know, you say, well, why wouldn't it be right for them to worry if they don't know where their next food, food meal is coming from or where they're going to sleep or they don't have a shirt on their back? But that's exactly what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, you know what, I want to give you freedom from that anxiety because I've promised to take care of you as my children. Now, throughout this Sermon on the Mount, throughout our study through Matthew, the Lord has been basically laying down a standard that was uncommon to the people of the day. See, they took God's law, they took God's word, and they brought it down to their level, and they said, okay, well, God's word says this. But you know what, let's invent some things that we can just kind of practically do or not do so that we know we're keeping or not keeping God's word. So it says, honor the Sabbath. So that wasn't good enough for them. So they said, well, you know, you can't pick up a pencil and carry it three feet. Or you've broken the Sabbath. You can carry it two and a half feet, but you can't carry it three feet. Or whatever the silly rules were. And in their mind, when they would do those things, those menial things that God's word doesn't even speak about, basically what would happen is they would feel good about themselves they would feel self-righteous because they were keeping God's word. And Jesus came along and he said, look, you guys have taken God's word and you turned it upside down. You made it into something that wasn't meant to be. And so he had to come in and kind of reiterate the divine standard of God's law. And he gave them a divine standard regarding themselves, regarding the world, regarding God's law, regarding moral issues, regarding the religious worship. We talked about giving, we talked about praying, we talked about fasting. And in these verses, he's talking about Money. He's talking about possessions. And so throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord is giving the categories where God wants to speak to us on that particular issue. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. God has something to say about your attitudes, something to say about your commitment to the Word, something to say about your religious activity, something to say about your moral values. He has something to say about your money and your possessions. And He has something to say about your prayer life and so forth. And so He sweeps through all these subjects. And right here, he's touching particularly on the necessities of life. Some may say, well, you know what? I read verses 19 to 24, and it says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, just lay it up in heaven. Don't serve money, serve God. Someone else might say, well, what about the future? Shouldn't, shouldn't we, you know, plan? And Are you saying just live day to day? See, we believe in wise planning, because the Bible gives several illustrations of that. But if you have trouble trusting the Lord for your future, the Lord says, don't worry about that. I'm going to take care of that. Whatever it is, I'm going to take care of that. And God says that very clearly in his word. So let's look at the word here and and see what he says in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. First of all, he gives us a general principle. He begins in verse 25 with the command. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not, what? Worry. It's very clear. It, It just basically throws it out there. Do not worry. And the phrase is repeated down in verse 31. He says, do not worry again. In verse 34, do not worry. The theme of this passage has to deal with anxiety. It has to deal with worry. Now, it's interesting because in the original language, you know what the word worry means? Worry. (laughs) It means don't worry. That's what it means. Okay? And in verse 25, the Greek tense is very kind of unique in and of itself because what it's doing, it's assuming that we're doing this. And he's saying, stop worrying. It's a given that you're doing it. Stop it. It's very strong. But it's different when he comes down to verse 31. Because he says, therefore, in in verse 31, he says, therefore, do not worry. And there, what he's saying is basically, don't start worrying. (laughs) If, If you're not worrying now, don't start worrying about tomorrow. So if you are worrying right now, quit it. Stop it. That's the Lord's word for you this morning. Just stop it. If you're not worrying, don't start. Well, what do we worry about? Well, he says there in verse 25, Therefore, do not worry about what? Your life. Don't worry about your life. It has to do with the fullness of of earthly, physical, external life. Don't be anxious about this temporal place we live in, the earthly world, the eating, the drinking, the clothing, the housing. And if you've already started worrying that area, stop it. That's kind of what we're concerned about. I mean, do you ever worry about heaven? I don't. What do we worry about? We worry about things down here. Things we can put our hands on. And it's interesting that when he starts this in verse 25, he says, therefore, and in Bible school they always teach you, whenever you see a word therefore, see why it's therefore. And so what it means is you've got to go back. Because he's made a statement. And the statement he made is what we talked about last week. You have two kinds of riches, two kinds of hearts, two kinds of masters. You've got to make a choice. Where's your heart going to be? Is it going to be focused on this world and its goods or is it going to be focused on the Lord and heaven? To sum up what we talked about last week, since earthly treasures corrupt you, since earthly treasures tend to kind of just keep your vision here on earth and they draw you away from God and, and toward worshiping money itself, he says don't worry about those kind of things. That's his point. That shouldn't be our preoccupation. If you're a child of God, you have a single goal. If you're truly a believer, here this morning, your single goal is what? Treasure in heaven. And your heart should be focused on one thing, God's purposes. And you should be serving one master, Him. Not your own agenda, not your career, not your family, not your money. You should be serving Him. And what he's trying to say is, you know what? I mean, yeah, you've got to deal with these things because they're practical things in our lives. He's not saying, you know, sell everything you have and go live on top of a mountain and eat, you know, honey and locusts. I mean, that's not what he's saying. He says what you will eat or what you will drink or what you you're about your body, what you will put on. How many of you woke, woke up this morning and you worried about what you were going to eat, what you were going to drink, or what you were going to put on? Well, maybe some of you, the last one, what you were going to put on. But it's not because you didn't have anything to put on. You're just trying to decide which one to put on. So we don't relate to that very well today in our society because we have everything pretty much we need. I mean, there's a supermarket almost on every block. We've got a lot of water, even though they're charging us a lot of money for it. <laughs> Why would we worry about that? I mean, I go up to the faucet and I turn the thing, you know, I don't. I hope the water comes out today. I mean, maybe you live through a day and an age where that was, that was the case. I mean, there was a day in our society where many people, and there probably still are people around today, obviously, that they deal with this on a daily basis. But for the majority of people living in the United States of America, they don't worry about these kind of things. Now, you've got to put yourself back when Jesus was talking and whom he, to whom he was talking to. He was back in that time in, in Israel there when all these things were a concern. Because if the snows didn't come, then the result would be, you know what, the, the streams didn't have any water. It could be a hot summer and burn everything up that was supposed to be the harvest. There were crops that didn't come through because maybe a plague of locusts came through. And so when the crops didn't come through, there was famine in the land. And when there was famine in the land, there wasn't any harvesting, there wasn't any income, there wasn't any money to purchase clothing. You can see how this would snowball real quick. We see it to a lesser degree even today in our society with all the crazy economic things that are going on. And so when he spoke these words, hey, don't worry about this, these people probably thought, what are you talking about? Don't worry about it? Don't worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or what we're going to wear. See, picture yourself on the edge of a parched desert, not knowing where your next meal was coming from, totally dependent upon the natural resources around you. That would be a very shocking statement. If somebody, oh, don't worry about it. So like after your house burns down, the neighbor comes over and goes, oh, you got insurance? Oh, good. <laughs> you know, yeah, I got insurance, but my whole house just burned down. And he says, there is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. In other words, is that all there is to life? See, that's what we put our value in as human beings. Most people in our world are totally consumed with our bodies. One commentator wrote this. We decorate it. We fix it up. We clothe it. We take care of it. We put it in a nice car. We send it off to a nice house. We stuff it full of nice food. We sit it in a nice comfortable chair. We hang a bunch of jewelry all over it. We take it out on a boat. Let it swim. Teach it to ski. Take it on a cruise. Feed that body. See, that's where the way most people live. It's centered around our body. Well, what he's saying here is, hey, the body isn't everything. Life is not contained solely in the body. Life is contained in the very nature of God. I live not because my body lives, but because God lives. He gives my body life to live. Life is more than the body. It's more than food. It's more than clothes. That's a hard sell in our society today. People don't get that. And he gives us here three reasons, basically, why we shouldn't worry. In verses 26 to 32, and then in verse 34. First one we want to look at. It's unnecessary, worrying, anxiety is unnecessary because of who your father is. Because of who your father is. Don't worry about the basics of life, what you're going to eat, or what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear, because of your father. And I think a lot of believers today have forgotten who their father is. (laughs) I remember when we were raising up Crystal and she was living with us at home and and everything through junior high, grade school, junior high, high school. I can't remember ever her waking up going, what are we going to eat today? I don't have anything to wear. She said that, but like the same thing. (laughs) She had lots to wear. She just didn't, you know. I don't ever recall her saying, where are we going to be tonight? We don't have a roof over our head. She was never worried about her next meal. Why? Because kids don't worry about that. Generally, they know they're going to have clothes. They know they're going to have food. They know they're going to have a bed, something to drink. Now, unfortunately, there are people, there are families in the world that don't have those things. But I'm talking about the majority here. That never even enters their mind. It's just expected. And as if human fathers, we provide for our kids in that way, how much more and how much more faithful is God to provide for us his children? We don't even measure up to God at all in that level. We read this little story this past week and it speaks of not understanding the resources that we have that God has provided for us. There was this gentleman who was in a mall one day and he read this pamphlet on cruises and he wanted to go on a cruise. He was poor, didn't have a lot of money, and so he took basically years of his life, and lived without, so that he could save enough money to go on a cruise. He just wanted to get on this big boat and go see all the sights with all the people, and he had to save his money, and eventually the day came when he could achieve his dream, and he walked into the travel agent, and he bought his ticket for the cruise, and he got home, and he realized, you know, I spent so much on this ticket, I don't have any money left for food, but at least I can go on this cruise and, you know, have a good time, and and maybe the sights and everything. So he decided to take some peanut butter and a loaf of bread on the cruise with him. And he gets on the boat and, you know, meal, dinner, bell rings, and he runs to his his little bunkhouse there, his room, gets out the peanut butter, and he's making his sandwiches because he didn't have any money to go buy the food. And he did that for a couple days, and he just couldn't take it. Any. He just got sick of eating peanut butter and bread and watching all these people just gorge themselves. So he went up to one of the porters, and he said, you know, how 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 do I get to eat? I need to get some real food. And the porter looked at him and said, well, do you have a ticket for the crew? And the gentleman said, well, yeah, I got a ticket. I'm here. Oh, well, all the food's included. See, sometimes, sometimes that's how we live our Christian life. We forget that, you know what? God includes things. We don't have to worry about some things. You can eat all you want. Your food's included with your ticket.
0: If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650 366 9923 or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org we've got a lot of resource materials available there more information about who we are and if you need a map to uh, visit us at grace bible church that's there as well again gracefultruth.org and would you please drop us an email let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by again gracefultruth.org or give us a call at 650366 9923. Again, that's 650 366 9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth.